0: It's brought in the halacha, the minag of giving a drasha on Shabbos Hagadol, and the reason which is brought is to teach halacha, because the of Pesach are complicated, also they only come once a year, and therefore it's necessary to refresh our memories about what we, what's nagel regarding Pesach, and specifically because of the Khmer, the. Severity, which applies to Pesach As we know, it's something which carries a sort of potential he of kores. If a person, Chas comes to eating chametz, And therefore something which is important to repeat The point of a Shabbos HaGadad drasha is not To give a shir in Lamdus Or a shir in a, a sugya. Not even meant to be a shir in a machshavah. It's meant to be to discuss the Halachas And that's what we try to do every year And uh, Even Pesach is a very big field, so we can't discuss all the halachas of Pesach every year, but we try to take a different area of Hilchas Pesach each year and focus on that. What I'd like to talk about today is a general sugya which affects Pesach, as well as all the other Issyrim in the Torah. (coughs) And that is the sugya of how to be machshir uh, Kalim. use for Pesach. Now the idea of being machsha kalim doesn't just apply to pots and pans or knives and forks. Really any surface which comes into contact with food for this purpose is called a kli. And therefore counters, sinks, stove tops are all called kalim. Similarly if a person has dentures or false teeth or braces or anything else metallic in their mouth that's also for this purpose a kli. It's something which has come into contact with food And as we know the halacha tells us that in certain circumstances things which come into contact with food absorb the flavor of the food. Now the Gemara teaches us that just like the Torah asses forbids us to eat something which is in any of the categories of food which are asked to eat be it chametz and Pesach be it something not kosher be it uh, yayinesech non-Jewish wine be it things which are have khelev, which is the forbidden fats, whatever the case may be, just like the Torah forbids the food itself, the Torah also forbids the taste of food which is Asr. And if the Torah forbids the taste of food which is Asr, so then, when that taste has been transferred to a cle, whatever the kli might be, then that gets a din of Isr as well. And therefore, we have to understand, I'll the Torah, how tastes transfers, because it means that wherever the taste of Iser is, or in our case, wherever the taste of Chomitz is, one wouldn't be allowed to eat food in a way where that taste will be re taken out of the clea and transferred to the food, because then that would have the taste of Chomitz as well. So, to understand the story of Kalim, we first need to understand the halakhah is about how taste transfers and then we can understand how it needs to counteract that and undo the taste of Israel which has been transferred so this is a big saga like I said it's discussed in two places in the Shulchan of both in Arach Haim Tafn al Tafn base, as well as in Day in a few places let's try and summarize these halachas, which are normally very complicated in a way which we can classify easy to remember terms what the principles are so we know that the the magic number in Pesach is four so we're going to talk in terms of remembering things in terms of fours as well when it comes to the first part which is discussing how does taste transfer if I have food how does the taste of the food transfer to a Klee so there are four ways that taste of food can be transmitted into a clay. The first one is through what we call dry heat. So the best example of that is if a person's baking bread on a tray, the taste of the bread is going to go into the tray and therefore if you have a problem of khamet, so the trays which are used to bake on are going to have absorbed the flavor of the khamets that they are baking and therefore one can't use those same trays for Pesach because they have now Have contain a taste of almonds. Dry heat doesn't just refer to baking, it's the same thing if I'd be grilling meat for example over a grate and then the flavor of meat gets absorbed into the grate. The second way heat transfers, the taste transfers, is through liquid, let's call it first wet liquids, I mean hot liquids, and hot liquids include uh, if a person's boiling something in a pot for example. So then there also the taste of the food is going to be transferred to the pot. So even though it's both through heat, but you're going to see there's a difference between a taste which gets transferred through dry heat and taste which gets transferred through wet heat. The third way that taste can transfer, this is less commonly known, but it's the Gemara Navarizara, which is discussing Yai Nesich. Yai Nesich is wine which was touched by goyim or produced by goyim, and therefore has a flavour of Esor, now wine isn't hot, people don't heat up wine and therefore we don't worry about the transfer of taste of heat by wine but wine remains in its barrel for a long time and Chazal tell us that something liquid which has remained in the same place for a long enough time is going to transmit a flavour to the cli that it's in and therefore the casks which hold the wine are going to be infused with the flavour of the wine and that will make the moss. Awesome. How much time does it take for for liquid to transfer itself to a, the clay we're sitting in, in the case where it's cold? So, i will give us a shear of coverage of 24 hours which means if liquid stays in the same place for 24 hours, it's going to get absorbed into the clay around it. That's why most liquids, liquids which are are sharp, or liquids which are very acidic, it might take less time than that. But that's our third way of transferring flavor is through a transfer of taste based on a liquid setting staying in the same place for long enough. And therefore, in a simple example, if a person say would spill milk on the counter and not bother taking it up, and the milk would remain there for 24 hours, then the taste of milk is going to get absorbed into the counter, which means that now has a milkic taste in the, in, in the counter. Then our fourth way how taste can transfer is what's called which means pressure which means if a person would drive a knife through something or spear it with a fork and it, it uses a certain amount of force to push it through the object i'm trying to cut so then the flavor or the taste of the object i'm cutting is going to go into the knife as well so this is the famous example everybody knows if a person is cutting an onion so then the onion is cold and the onion doesn't remain in the knife for very long but the fact that a person is pushing the knife through the onion, uh, that 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 pressure, that force, is going to cause a transfer of flavour. And therefore, if a the person is using a meat knife and he's pushing it into an onion, he's going to transfer the meat flavour of the knife into the onion. Similarly, if a person has a regular knife and he cuts a hard piece of meat with it, so then that's the, what's called the shamdunis, the fats of the meat are going to go into the knife. Okay, so there are four ways we've spoken about, let's revise them quickly, about how food can give flavor to a kli. Through dry heat, the first one, through wet heat is the second one, through remaining there for a long time is the third one, and through dukkah, through fresh is the fourth one. The rule of how The rule of how to is, like the Gemara says, kubayla kakhbolto, which means however it goes in is how it's going to have to go out. Whatever goes in is how it's going to go out and therefore reversing the same procedure of how the the flavor got imparted to the food is the way I'm going to bring the flavor back out of the food. And therefore, let's go through our four examples again and explain what the cashing process is going to have to be. So we'll start with the first method we we spoke about and that is dry heat. So if taste got imparted to something through dry heat, the way the taste is going to have to get removed is also through dry heat. That's what we call libon, which means putting something in the fire, and the heat of the fire is going to, so to speak, burn out any taste which is left in the cook. So, example we gave before, if a person has the grate on which they're grilling meat, and now they want to cash that grate, they'll have to put the grate in the fire, and let the strength of the fire, burn out any taste that there had been from the meat which was grilled in it. That's what we call libon. The second example of how taste gets transferred that we spoke about was through liquid which means hot water which causes the taste to be absorbed and the way to reverse that is what we call hagala which means if the clay which absorbed the taste is immersed in boiling water so then it will draw the taste back out it it will back out again so for example if a person would have put a, let's say a milk soup spoon into a flesh expo- soup and now because of that the taste of the soup has gone into the spoon and therefore the spoon has now got a taste of flesh which is also. Awesome. the way to reverse that would be to put the spoon into boiling water and that will take back out the taste of the meat uh-huh. the third way the taste gets transferred we said it's through liquid remaining in a cleave for over 24 hours we call kvesha and here also the Gamara has the way to take the taste back out again and what's called millivari which means we would fill that cleave with water and leave the water there for 24 hours and then the taste which got absorbed by the liquid which was also remaining in the cleave for 24 hours is going to get released into the water which is sitting in the cleave for 24 hours for technical reason if I wants to use that way of kashering so then we have to do it 3 times which means fill the clea, leave it for 24 hours, pour it out and do the same thing again, pull the clee, leave for 25 hours pour that, out a third time and that will casher a kli. So if I want to in a barrel for example or a vat which contains non-kosher wine or any other case where the clea which held the iser for too long has absorbed the ister that was inside it so we have the option of what's called mele which means to leave water in for that amount of time, three, 24 hours three times and that will casher it. And lastly when it comes to the you know, which means a knife or something which has gotten flavor because of the pressure it was put and pushing it through a double which gave it a flavor. The way to reverse that is to cut something which doesn't have that flavor. And then for the pressure or the force of pushing that same blade through something else which doesn't have a flavor of isa will, so to speak, will clear the flavor of isa from the knife. What the Gemara calls neitsa. And therefore, if a person would cut something else, let's say a hard vegetable or a piece of wood, or even dig it into hard ground ten times, the, the, the knife, that would, so to speak, take away whatever flavor of Yisr it absorbed. And therefore, in each of the four cases, we have the Din of Kaboyah kachbalta, which means the way that the flavor went in is the way the flavor is going out. And that would work to Kashr, under the, and the rice it in. Now, Another rule we have to know is that these four rules aren't separate rules, in other words that they're all four separate categories, there's really a scale. And therefore let's say for example Libun is a stronger form of hersha than Mirad or than Haggadah. Hagona is a stronger form of Haksha than M'itza, whatever the case was less than it, and therefore in most cases upgrading the level of Hersha will work as well. In other words it's not that the only way to maksha something is in the way that it went in. If I would use a stronger level of heksha, it would work as well. So if I, put a, if I used a knife to cut non-kosher meat, it's not the only way to maksha it is by doing an itza, which means by rubbing the knife ten times in, into something which is not a grave. But if I put that knife in the fire and deliver on it, for sure it would work as well. So if I, make, if I use a stronger level of kashering, then the iser which went into it that's going to work as well to take out the flavor of this. Okay, so we've now understood the four different categories of how flavor can be transferred. The same four categories of how flavor can, how flavor can be released. Now we enter our next four. In the category of liquids, which we said hot liquid transmits the flavor. So now we're going to break that category into four as well, because hot liquid can give a flavour in four different ways. And this is well known, especially for people who have the Koshabis as well. So let's just do a quick hazard to refresh our memories. And that is we first have the concept of clearishan, which means a pot which is on the fire. And if a person will be boiling, let's say, soup in a pot on the fire, so then the pot is going to get the flavour of the soup. That's the standard classic case of a clear The second option is what's called earring clearishan, which means uh, when a person pours boiling liquid out of the cleaner shun, whatever it hits, the stream of liquid hits, is going to get a flavor as well that's primarily the problem people have with their sinks because most people aren't cooking in the sink when, when the case what happens to the sink is the person pours boiling water into the sink and therefore the point of contact of where the boiling water heat hits the sink is going to impart a flavor to the sink so it's also a level of transfer of flavor through heat, uh, through liquid heat. Except here, it's not as hot as a klirishon, but it, it, and it has its own dinim of how to capture it. The third, the third option of transfer through hot liquid is what's called klirshani, which means that the container which the hot water has been put into, when it comes off the pot, and therefore, if I would ladle soup, for example, into a bowl, the bowl will also res- absorb flavor from the soup, but it's not going to be as hot as the pot was. And therefore this is only considered a clean shiny and not a clear shiny. that's the third case and then the fourth case is what's called a steam zaya which means when i boil something there's always going to be steam steam like is a din of liquid it's like a wet like a moist liquid so to speak in the air and that can transfer flavor also if the steam is still hot and therefore there's going to be a transfer of flavor from the food to wherever the steam reaches and and while well, still hot, and that will also get a flavor from, it will also get a flavor from the liquid which was awesome and therefore, for example, if a person is boiling a, a pot of meat soup, I'll give an example here before, and the steam hits something directly on top of the pot, the steam is going to make whatever it hits fleshier as well because that's also a means of transferring a flavor. So these all fit into the category of liquid heat. Liquid heat can be a clearation, it can be what's being poured from a clearation, it can be a clearation and it can be steam. When it comes to solid food we don't have all these, we don't have these four cases, firstly because steam is always a liquid and secondly for a technicality in the post scheme something called the Dova gush, which means the solid food atom doesn't necessarily get colder when was taken out of the pot and put onto a second surface, and therefore, if a person would put something solid, of us os- which is also, osse- down on a second surface, it would give taste as well, but it won't have the distinction between the klireshin and the klisheni because we whereas whereas by liquid, when it comes into a second, so to speak, kli, it's less hot than it was in the original kli. By a solid food, it's not necessarily the case. And therefore, we don't have that distinction, we'll have to treat it like anything which received flavor from a salad. So, for an example, if a person would take a boiling hot challah out the oven and put it down on a tray to cool, that tray would also get the flavor of the challah, it's a hot challah on it, which is going to transfer flavor, and that tray would need to be cached for Pesach, if i want to use it on Pesach, because it's absorbed the time of Chomet. Similarly, if a person would put that same hot challah down on their kitchen counter directly, so then once again, the flavor is going to be absorbed in the counter through heat, and it's going to need to be cashered. So besides for themselves, when we talk about what needs to be cashered, so that's why we said surfaces, sinks, even these aren't areas where a person cooks, but they're still going to need cashering because either hot food can be placed in it, in case of solid food, or hot liquid which is hummus that can spill in it in the case of liquids and therefore there's going to be a transfer of flavor either through, like we said, a solid item or through what's called irreclearation. Now while well, this makes a difference to us, we're going back to what we said before, that in the category of liquid heat there's four different categories is because here also we have the breakdown of how the cashering is going to happen because the way to casher something is to reverse the procedure in which the flavor went in. And if that's the case, something which the way it got a flavor of Iser is by being by being placed, so to speak, into a pot of hot liquid on the fire. So that's what we call it's going to give a time with a clearishon. If that's the case, the only way to capture it is going to be by doing hagala inside a clearishon. Whereas something which the way it got the time of isur is by hot water of Iser being poured on it. So that's the case. We can reverse the same. We can do the same thing again, and we can pour boiling water over the same area to take your taste back out again. In other words, the Haggadah in that case won't be by putting the item into the hot pot, the Haggadah will be by pouring the hot water over the item. And this is why this is a big nafku minifas in Pesach because of course we can't put our countertops or our sinks into a pot of boiling water. So how do we catch them? So here we say, because the way that the taste went in wasn't in a pot of boiling water either. The way the taste went in was by hot water being poured over it splashing on it so we're going to do the same thing we can do irui which means we're pouring boiling water over those surfaces and that's going to release the flavor inside now when it comes to the last case which is a case of steam this brings us to a very big makhlaka and that is if something which was absorbed flavor through steam can steam be used to kasher it which would be a reversal of the same process or do we say no even if it only absorbed flavor through steam the way to kasher is going to have to be through boiling water it is through an area which means by, by pouring boiling water over it. Now, we are cases of things which receive their iser from steam, and therefore there could be a practical question of how are you going to catch them? So the best example I have is those stove tops which a person has what's called a collective, even here, which is really something to absorb the, the the steam above the stove because the steam is always going up and hitting this uh, this kind of it's a kind of a it's kind of a net above the stove and it's always being hit by hot steam and therefore has a person will have to that if he's been cooking comets, for example if he's been cooking pasta or something and then the steam coming out of the pot is definitely khametz steak it, it hits the ceiling directly on top of the stove and it will need to be cashered because it's gotten the flavour of yourself. now we're not talking about the ceiling of the, of the kitchen that's way too high up steam dissipates but it doesn't go that far before it spreads into the air and it does, it's negligible you're talking about something which is very close to where the pot surface is and therefore there's still a steady stream of hot steam which is hitting that surface. So here the question would be, can a person kashurok with steam? And that's like I said, is a bachlai There are other places where the poiskim talk about this dinner as well, but I don't believe that's really a good example. The one example is by a microwave. Why? Because when a person cooks in a microwave, Really the food it doesn't touch the walls of the microwave. The food's in the on the glass plate and a contained in the middle. So why does the person need to catch the walls of the microwave? Because anyone who has used the microwave knows that the when the something is cooking, the microwave gets full of steam. And the microwave is full of steam, so then we have to worry about the steam of whatever is cooking going into the walls of the microwave. And if that's the case, if the person wants to catch the microwave. Can he do the same thing in reverse? which means can he put a bowl of water in the microwave, keep it up for long enough that it fills the microwave with steam, and we'll say that that steam has now cashed the bleus, the, the taste, which went into the walls of the microwave through steam. And like I said, it's not like a saposkim if microwaves are cashable like that or not, but I don't really believe that that's a good example of this bit of steam, because there's another problem as well, and that is if you only be worried about the steam in the microwave, then it would be this halakhic discussion we just mentioned. But being as the situation in a microwave is very often when the food gets hot food particles themselves tend to fly and hit the walls or the sides of the microwave that's for sure not steam that's food itself which would be considered hitting the walls of the microwave would be kind of an eerie and in a case like that then for sure steam isn't going to be enough to capture something which got its flavor from food itself and not from steam and then in order to do that i would have to which means pour boiling water on the sides of the microwave which is not already a practical thing to do it will probably ruin the microwave and that's why it's better not to cache microwaves for Pesach the same applies to the lid of a pot if a person wants to cache the lid of a pot it's not just the problem of the steam which is that uh, the steam in the pot is hitting the lid the whole time that's true as well but the food also tends to when it boils to to hit the lid of the pot and that's the case it's not enough just to cash it with steam it it need to be cashed with with a golo of something which is on a clear okay so then we spoke about our third category of four things and that is the four the four different uh, possibilities of how flavor is going to be transferred through liquid heat okay we nearly have finished our principles and then we can go into the practical examples so let's sum up a recent so far there's four different ways flavor can be transferred dry heat wet heat uh, kfisha which means by being left in something for too long and tohka which means through the force of the knife we spoke about each one has the reverse of how i'm going to take the taste back out again and then we divided the concept of liquid heat into four different subcategories. now as far as the Torah goes that's the rule of Haggallah Chazal, however, made a number of restrictions of when we can't do Haggadah. When this isn't a method which works the kasher So let's go through Chazal's restrictions. So the first restriction Chazal made, and that is, a kli which is likely to get ruined by the cashing process, Chazal said, I can't kasha. And the reason for that is, is because Chazal were worried that a person doesn't want his kli to get ruined, and therefore he's not going to do Haggadah properly because he would rather N- not bring things to the necessary temperature in order to master them, rather than risk ruining his kli. And because then Chazal said, we don't want people to be marshall kliim like that. We're too scared that they won't do the job properly, and it'll still be a time isra. So when you're talking about levin, for example, any kli which isn't going to survive being put into the fire, even if that would be the necessary way to do to kasher it, because the way to see that time time was through the fire. The Chazal said, We can't do Haga. we don't have to do Liban on it. We're scared that you're not going to do it properly, and then the key won't become crushed. Why? Because the heat of Liban is something which is hot enough for it to get metal hot, red hot, and unless it's especially tempered metal which is able to withstand that kind of heat, it's going to disintegrate, it's going to fall apart, it's going to break, and therefore we can't do Haggad on it. And we can't do Liban on it, and we don't even try because Chazal said, we're sure people aren't going to do it properly and therefore we don't want people to do it similarly really when it comes to liquids we're doing Haggadah in the boiling water those substances which can't stand boiling water is going to ruin them so Khazal said don't we don't let you do Lebon on it we don't let you do Haggadah on it because we know you're not going to do it properly and therefore better don't try okay so that's our first restriction of Khazal when we're not allowed to cash it. and then kind and are uncashable because that I think we can do this example, we actually had an example of this last week, the Mishnah Bura brings that kalim which are made out of out of like animal horn, such as ivory or things like that, are sent to, to boiling water, and therefore, a the person can't do Haggadah then because we're scared that a person won't do Haggadah properly, he doesn't want to ruin the kalim, and then, in a case like that, it's better not to do that. Okay, that's our first example. Our second restriction of chazal, the chazal tell us, hagola only works on flavor. If there's flavor in the clean, then putting in boiling water is going to release that flavor out again. But, if there's res- residual food in the clea, for example, food which got stuck onto the surface and I haven't been able to scrape off, or there's a crevice in the cre- clea in such a way that the food has gotten in and I can't get it out, in cases like that, hagola is not going to help. Haggadah is not going to help because it doesn't destroy the food, it just releases the flavor. And in a case like this where the food is still there, so then the flavor of the food is not going to get released from itself. Not only that, I could probably be making things worse, because by putting it into boiling water, all I'm doing is is cooking the flavor of the food back into the kli. And in a case like that, I haven't helped take the flavor out, but I've just added a new flavor to it. And therefore, I'll tell us you can only do Haggadah on a kli which I can check is probably properly clean and its entire surface area which means it's not like a pot where there's a caked-in layer of you know, burnt and grease or whatever it might be because that's going to prevent that going to working and it's not a clee which has a sm- like cracks where food could accumulate and I can't get it out. Examples which are given of that the post can bring, for example a knife where the handle and the blade are attached from two different substances and there's a thin like, so to speak, space between the two where food could get trapped. If I wanted daigata, I'd have to clean that area properly make sure there's no food there. Similarly, whatever c- clear it is, which is held together by screws, so then again, within the area of the where the th- screws went to go, or sometimes even within the top of the screw itself, there are areas where food could collect, the person would have to make sure they're properly cleaned before he does a god the case where I can't remove all the food, or I can't get all the food to remove it, so then Hagala is not an option. Now, this is this second then is only a problem by Hagala. It's not a problem by Lebon, because when we're putting something directly into the fire, so then we understand the point of the fire isn't to extract the Esau, it's to burn out the Esau. And if it can burn out the flavor, it can burn out, it will burn any food residue too. In other words, the heat which is able to make the metal hot is definitely hot enough to incinerate any food remainders. And therefore liban would work whether the clay is something which has food residue in it or not if we do the liban properly but hagala will only work on a clay which is completely clean and there's no areas where food's gotten stuck that's our second restriction for hagala and therefore once again kalim which we can't do that for we can't do hagala on and our third restriction for hagala is that hagala has to is only in water which is boiling in other words we don't we don't look at how hot the water was when the flavor went in and we can say well if the water was only 80 degrees the, let's say the person pours hot milk over a clay and says well the milk was only 80 degrees so can I use heat water of 80 degrees to take the milk out the answer is no when it comes to agala I need to use the same level of heat and therefore I need to use sorry, the level of heat for agala always the same level which is boiling, boiling to the extent that I can see the bubbles rising right to the surface and this is an important point by Haggadah and that's why it's brought down that when a person uh, puts uh, has boils of water to Haggadah and then he puts the clay into the water because the kli is cold the natural consequence is going to do is going to lower the water temperature. So if a person just dips the kli and immediately takes it out again he never really did Haggadah because the water wasn't hot enough and therefore it's brought down that a person has to wait long enough that the water starts bubbling again because at that stage then he's able to do a ok, so that's our third rule our third rule for a is that it has to be with boiling water obviously if it's a vat of boiling water and a person's boiling a small spoon inside and it's not enough to lower the water temperature then of course the person will do a as soon as the it is completely inside and that's our fourth rule of a and that is, it has to be something where the whole kli gets into the water whereas if only part of the kli gets into the water so then that's not a good hagana, because the areas of the kli which weren't exposed to the boiling water aren't going to become kosher in other words, the water only takes out the taste of where it comes into contact with but if a pot is too big, so I can only submerge half of it in the water I never need really a proper hagana, because the other half of the pot will still have the taste of the issa. similarly if a person's holding onto the cle which you put into the water with the tongs or something, so this is brought to Aruch, the area under the tongs wasn't, wasn't made kosher because it, was, it never touched the water, and therefore a person's going to have to either put something in, into a net, like a, let's say a wire mesh bag net, net, and put it into the, the haggara like that, or if he's going to use something to hold it with and move it around so that the hot water touches every part of the clay, what would be the den? I have a clean which is too big to fit into another one. I don't have a big enough cauldron to put my big pot into. How could I do Haggadah on that? So it's a Gemara that tells us that a person can do Haggadah a person can do Haggadah on a pot with the pot itself. I don't always need a second pot to put the, the pot I'm trying to cash it into. I can boil up water in the pot itself and if it's done properly, then then it will do Haggala on itself. And the way to do that is what the Gomorrah calls a Gadanfa, which means to be able to fill up the water to the very brim of the pot in such a way that when it boils, the water is going to cascade over the entire rim of the pot and down the walls on the outside. And that would be a proper hagala because at that stage, the boiling water has touched the entire inside surface and the entire rim of the pot, and that's what, where the, the flavor of issa would have gone and therefore I can do Haggala like that. Okay so those are our four limitations in Haggadah which is brought in Chazal. Let's say them again. Number one, it has to be something which can withstand the cashing process. Number two, it has for Haggadah purposes. It has to be something which is completely clean and there's no food remaining on it. Number three, I have to have water which is properly boiling which means the bubbles are coming to the surface. And lastly number four, it, it means the entire surface of the clay has to be exposed to the water. Preferably, in the Khadkhila, a person is meant to use water of and not other liquids. Like we'll see, there certain very cases where the post-scheme allowed Haggala and other liquids besides the water, but primarily the dinner of has to be in water. Okay, so now we've learned the basis for the dilemma of Haggala, both like we said, the derisa and also the abundance Now, there's one further sugi for us to discuss together and that is, as we mentioned previously, there's a big difference between Haggadah and Libun because Libun works and it burns out the flavor and if that's the case, if a person puts something in the fire and the flavor gets burnt out, it's not there anymore, it's disappeared, it's been incinerated. Haggadah doesn't burn out the flavor Hagoda releases the flavor, which means it takes the flavor out of the pot and puts it back in the water. Now the question we have to ask ourselves is, okay, so where does the flavor go from here? I have a pot of boiling water, and now I put a, a, a spoon, a knife, whatever it is, into the water. So the flavor which was in the knife has now gone out of the knife and into the water. And now we have this taste of Isra, which is floating around in the water. What happens next? So, we have two questions. The first question is what's going to stop that flavor, which is uh, just like we said, taste transfers through boiling water? So, maybe the taste of which you took out the knife is going to go into the water and then go into the pot which I'm boiling the water in. And if that's the case, what have I gained? I've taken the ester out of one clean and put it into a different clean. Or if I'm trying to be tovel, but do I got on two cutting together? So do we say what's going to happen is that each one is going to uh, take the, uh, transfer flavors. We'll take the flavor out the spoon and put it into the knife. We'll take a flavor out the knife and put it into the spoon. What's going to stop that happening? And if we understand, this is only a question of God. because God, like we said, is something which extracts flavor, as opposed to libun, which is something which burns out the flavor. Okay. So what 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 what, what, what do we do to prevent that happening? So Chazal give us two options, both of which are brought in the Shulchan Arach. The one option is if there's sixty times water to the clea that I'm putting into it, so then it's true the flavour is going to come out of the clean into the water. But in such a vast quantity of water, the flavour is going to dissipate and disappear. We call Betel Vishushim. And therefore if I have a big pot of boiling water and I put a small knife or spoon inside it, it's true the flavour will come out of the knife, spread it in the water until it nullifies itself. It's non existent anymore, there's not enough. Uh, there's not enough flavor to flavor the water. In a case like that, we have 60 times boiling water to the clear that I'm trying to do. I go on, so automatically it becomes, the flavor goes out and the flavor disappears. But that's not always a practical option. It might work if I have a big vat and a small clay. But if I have a, a big clay and I'm trying to travel pots or pans, or whatever it's going to be, or even the case where I'm trying to pour boiling water on the surface in order to capture it. So here I have the, second, the same problem. The, the flavor is going to come out into the boiling water, and it's going to get into everything else. That same boiling water will draw the flavor into whatever's around it. And I don't have 60 times water, so what do I do next? So the other option, which is brought in halacha, and this is brought in the Shukh Naraq, a person should be ma'kbed and that is to wait 24 hours before doing hagarah. Why? Because this is another halakha, which was mentioned briefly. The says that there's a din of Tam which means a flavor in a pot, only, only has a good taste for 24 hours. After that, the flavor gets stale, the flavor gets ruined, and even though it's still a flavor of Isur, that is it's no longer something which is giving a positive flavor to whatever it's in. And therefore, it doesn't mean that the clay doesn't need it still does. But what it means is, is the flavor which comes out can't make something else also. And therefore, if you wait 24 hours before doing Haggadah, so then the flavor which comes out is already a ruined flavor, it's already a Flavor which is Pogum, which is no longer positive, and therefore we don't care about where the flavour goes because the the flavour isn't going to enhance whatever it goes into. So if a person was 24 hours before doing kagala then the flavour is going to be released from the pot, it's going to travel in the water, it's going to go into everything else in that same, in that same cauldron, but it doesn't make a difference to us, because the flavour, which is already a bad flavour so to speak, you don't have to worry about, about making us... Awesome. That's the principle so far. Now, this is a den by kasherin most of the year and mostly so. The rule for kasherin is wait 24 hours, and after that cashier it, and we don't worry about the flavor which has gotten ruined, which is in, which is in the clea. Obviously, 24 hours means from the last time that I used the clea for issur, the and therefore, if I, it's, I, have to make sure that this clear wasn't used for issur in the last 24 hours before I try to kasher it. When it comes to chametz, it's a little bit more complicated, because one of the chumras we have on chametz is that in we try not to lechatchila we try not to use kalim for chametz, which even if they have a time gam even if they have a bad flavor, which means even if the flavors be there for more than twenty four hours, lechatchila we try to be careful about chametz, and therefore it's uh, it's brought down the shacharnerach that a person shouldn't do her gala from the time when Chometz is Asr, which is the 5th hour in of Pesach, because from the time when Chometz is Asr, we worried about, we worried about the time of Chometz also. whereas the person would do Agala before that, so they would take the time out of the Kli at that stage Chometz isn't yet Asr, so we don't have to worry about the Isr of Chometz which is even extensive time of Lufkam and then the Kli is already kosher and can be used for Pesach. so the Shulchan says the person should do Agala on of Pesach before the fifth hour, which means that way that he's able to the time will already been released from the Kalim before the initial begins. Now what about a case where a person can't afford to wait for the, for 24 hours of precaution the clean? He needs a clean now and uh, he can't afford to wait 24 hours but on the other hand there's a problem that by putting got now, the flavor is going to go, be reactivated because it's going to come back to the clean to the water and then go back into the clear again. So what's he meant to do? So the famous chaznish says what a person can do is he can add something to the water which is going to give everything a bad taste. Some kind of detergent, some kind of soap, some kind of chemical and that way I boil up this chemical or this water with the detergent inside which is something inedible. I now put the clear inside and it's true the flavor will be released from the clear but immediately it will get mixed with the unpleasant or inedible flavor of the detergent or the chemical in the water and therefore there is not going to be a positive flavour which is being reintroduced into the clean. there is only going to be a negative flavour which is being reintroduced into the clean and that we don't have to worry about However, we saw previously that l'chadkhila, a person is meant to do hagola only with water and not with any other mixture and because of that uh, the khaznish says, so what a person should do if he has to be mahshu, something within 24 hours is do hagola the first time in a chemical in the detergent, and it will take the flavor out and replace it with a bad flavor instead. And then afterwards, you should pour out the, the chemical that he was doing Hagola in, fill the vat with water, boil it up again, and now do Hagola the second time in boiling water. To you're of doing Hagola in water. And now there's no longer a positive time which will be released because now the time which is in the clear is the negative time of the chemical that he used the first time. That's an answer what a person could do um, in order to avoid the problem of the flavor which is being released from the clea being reabsorbed in the clean. Okay so those are our two rules. Our first rule is to make sure that sure there's either 60 times water connected to the clean or that the kalium aren't in the yeoman and then ha- then doing a godo works. Otherwise doing a could really be doing a serum. If a person would take a meat pot and a malt pot for example and put them at the same time, into the same vat of hot water, he's really cooking the khala, because he's putting the meat into the milk, and the milk into the meat, and it'll be a problem. Whereas if they're no longer b'nai which means the taste which comes out of each part is no longer a live taste or an enjoyable taste, in cases like that, so then it'll work to match both of them. And for three reasons, therefore, the Shadrach narach says, one has to know that the person doing the khala knows what he's doing is the Tamil Khakram, because, number one, he has to make sure that what he's doing khala on it's something which Haggola can work on. It's not something which is going to get ruined by Hagola or something which is properly clean. Number two, he has to make sure that the kalim using not in the yeomah and therefore they not going to trap up everything else. And number three, he has to make sure that the water is hot enough that it's not going to cool down by the kalim which have been put inside it and then a person doesn't do the but because he takes them out before they were left submerged in boiling water. And number four. You have to make sure that the entire surface of the kli is surrounded by the boiling water. That's what's related to the rules of Hagoda. Now let's talk about, we spoke about Hagoda as the option of how to take out flavor, which has been transferred to something by virtue of its being in contact with a hot liquid. And we spoke about the most severe case, which is the hot liquid on the fire. What about a case of iri? which means something which became awesome because hot liquid splashed on it. So therefore, I don't have to do how it putting it into the boiling water. I have to do the same thing to reverse what happened, which means I would have to pour boiling water over the same area to release the flavor. So how to do that? So if a person knows the exact spot where the Isla fell, the person could pour boiling water over the same spot after 24 hours, obviously, and take it back out again. In other words, the way to match some would be to make sure it's properly cleaned, to wait 24 hours and to pour boiling water over the same place. Obviously, the water which is boiling has to have been properly boiling at the time that I pour it. And even though the, what's going to happen is, as soon as it hits the surface, it's going to cool down. That's not a problem. Because the way that the first liquid of Isur also hit it when it was boiling and then it was cooled down. The important thing, though, to remember when it comes to pouring boiling water to cash or something is that it has to be that that stream of boiling water hits the counter, hits the surface straight away. Whereas if the water is starting to accumulate and I'm pouring boiling water over water, the hot water is never touching the surface. It's touching a layer of water above the surface, and that's going to cool it down so that the hot water never reaches the surface. And if that's the case, I can't, I'm not catching anything. I'm pouring boiling water over water. The surface never got cased. So what's the way to do Haggadah over a wide area such as a countertop or a table the way to do Haggadah is first you make sure it's properly clean like we said, otherwise Haggadah doesn't work and properly dry and then a the person is to pour quickly enough in a way that the stream of water is hitting the surface the whole time before the water itself is covering the surface and I can no longer do Haggadah the way I recommend to do that the person is using a, a hot water kettle or an urn and he's pouring. Is what, what, do, what most people do is pour forwards, which means pour and then go forwards with the kettle. Then you just what's happening is you're pouring water over water because the direction the water is going is also forwards. The best way to catch is to go backwards, which is a person holds it and pulls it back. So the water is pouring one direction and he goes backwards. So he's hit, is there's a constant new, so to speak, stream of place where the water is hitting where, on the counter where the water hasn't been This That's where a person has to keep a khashpen of exactly which parts he's done and hasn't done and that way he can, in strips or in blocks, or however he's going to do it, cover the whole surface. Similarly, when it comes to capturing a sink, which again, was worried about the hot hummus which was poured directly from a pot into the sink, so in a case like that, The even though naturally people were doing the sink, it started at the top and worked towards the bottom that's actually the wrong thing to do, because all that's going to happen is the water is going to accumulate at the base of the sink and you can't kasher it. And therefore the better way to do it, the correct way to do it, would be to start at the bottom and then work up the sides. And that way you're always pouring water over an area which there was no water, it was dry, and therefore it's coming to contact with the boiling water first. And that's the Ata for kashering counters, sinks. And now the idea of, of irui, pouring boiling water doesn't have to mean pouring down it can be throwing it sideways too so if one wants to cash to the faucet itself which also can it means cashering either it's hot water has been poured over it it's been splashed or even steam from hot pots have gone up and hit it and how do you pour boiling water over the underside of the faucet so you're going to have to throw boiling water up to hit it but that's also going to have a area which means the water which comes out of a boiling pot and directly hits the surface will have that level of it. okay so that was the, that's what the gave to Cashering, like we said, those things like counters, sinks, even the, the what's called the backsplash, which is the tiles behind the counter, if things have spilt there or splashed it during the year, again we can throw boiling water over it and casher it the same way. Now let's talk about something which makes it a little bit more complicated. And that is this is all as far as liquid heat goes. What about something which the way that the heat was transferred was with dry heat? And what would be an example of how something gets transferred as dry heat? We said a person takes a hot kugel or a hot challah and they put it directly down on a table or on a countertop. In a case like that, the way that the heat was transferred was through something dry, not something wet. And therefore, in a case like that, the m- means of capturing by pouring boiling water isn't good enough. But how else are you meant to do it? You can't uh, put the surface stuff into a fire. So what other option is there? How a person was going to, a person going to kasha, the effect of a, a, a dry heat source of chometz which went into his counter. So this what the tell us about and it's brought in the mishnah borough. The idea was called evim lo'eben. means a person takes a solid object which has been made hot and. He uses that to heat up the same space where the hot solid had touched and that's going to have the effect of drawing out the flavor. Now, every doesn't work on its own which means a person doesn't take a hot rock and put it down on the surface and expect it to draw out the flavor which had been imparted to the surface because of a rule we have in Kashrus and that is a clay doesn't give flavor to a clea if they're both dry. In other words, hot food can give flavor to a clea the hot challah that I put down on the surface is going to give flavour to the surface the hot meat that I put down on the grate is going to give flavour to the grate but a hot clay doesn't give flavour to another clay if they're both dry and therefore putting a dry rock, even if it's boiling hot, on a dry surface isn't going to do anything it's not going to release flavour the only way to release flavour is either a fire itself which burns out the flavour or liquid which has the ability to, to absorb and to transmit, to, you know, to draw out, suck out the flavor. And if a person wants to use an Evan the way to do it is in conjunction with boiling water. So, what I've heard from the base and it's probably the best way to do it, is to take one of these metal paint scrapers, which has a wide surface, has a metal base and has a handle, to heat that up, until it gets hot, and then to hold it over the surface and pour boiling water over it, in a way where the boiling water hits it on the surface and now it has the benefit of having a hot solid over the area where the hot solid would have given a flavor to as well as water which becomes the medium through which a person can draw out, so to speak, the flavor of the isser. If a person is working like that, so then the way to do it is in one hand to hold the paint scraper which is hot Now the other hand hold the kettle of boiling water and pour in such a way that the water is kind of touching the side of the strainer and going onto directly onto the surface, and that way you have the added heat of the evan milaban, which can take out the flavor of a solid which is given to the surface too. Okay, the, one, the other option which is brought in the program of an evan milaban is to use, is if the person can pour the boiling water while the kettle will is still on. Why? Because there's a metal. Hot pl- like a metal ring in the kettle which gets boiling hot as it heats up the water. As soon as this, the kettle clicks off, so then the cursory stops and it cools down. If a person would hold the electricity on, in other words, it's still in the on position, so there's still the current going through that metal plate, and therefore it's still boiling hot. Then that would that would be the solid object which is boiling hot, which would be the metal ribbon. And then a person who pulls from the kettle when it still has the when it's still in the on position, which means when the, the metal element is still boiling hot work as an the There are other aids of using an iron. When a person heats up an iron, it's also a hot solid object, and a person holds it over a layer of water, which is hot, and a person can use that as an evened too And that's what works to catch the tops and surfaces. One more thing is what's referring to as very practical: the the grates of the stove. In other words, the metal so to speak tripod which holds up the pot above the gas what the, um, the person called the and the Ramad tells us that the khatsubah needs to be cashered with leaven. and the reason for that is is because sometimes food falls on out of the pot and lands on these grates and now it's going to get baked in there because they're very hot, it's a dry heat but they're very hot and uh, as a solid object gets cooked or gets baked into the flavor goes into the grate, it's not going to be good enough to the algarve. In other words, if you are only worried about liquid splashing on the grate, algarve would work, because then the way that the taste transferred itself to the grate would be through liquid. But if you're worried about uh, a solid object of food falling on the grate, and if that's the case, it's going to be baked in dry, and when that happens, it's going to need a uh, libel in order to capture it. Now, that's something where libel would work, because it's a iron which is tempered to that heat, there's always a fire burning there and if that's not a person can put into a heat source, into a flame and it will burn itself out. Okay, one last area of the Halakha to talk about which is important, we have a few minutes left, and that is there are certain substances which are uncasturable. Again we're going to give four examples, substances which are uncasturable, and because of that a which is made of one of these substances which was used for chromos can't be used for pesach, person has to put it away and buy a different. Or and if it was a case where a clean one of these substances became also let's say during the course of the year, with possible of any other iser, someone has to throw them away because there's no way to cash them. So what are they for examples? The first one is minatera, and that is cheris. Harris is pottery or clay, and the tells us that clay is uncatchable. It can absorb flavor, but it doesn't release the flavor it absorbs and therefore if a flavor of Isur has gone into a pottery or a flavor of Khametz there's no way that a person can kashur it uh, to use for, for Hetz or to use for Pesach and a person would have to, in the case of Isur, throw the kali away in the case of Pesach, just keep those khalim aside for Khametz and not use them for the Pesach and even though Libun, technically, if a person puts a, a klicheres, which means pottery, into a furnace the fire would be hot enough to burn out any taste that's the rule we said before, and that is also likely to break the clay and therefore Chazal didn't give me the option of doing a Heksha in a way which i'm worried you won't do it properly because it might break the clay in the process and therefore a person wouldn't bring it to the required temperature and therefore anything which is cheres you have to put away we can't use it for Pesach. Examples are any kind of pottery, even porcelain, china, all these things are considered cheres, and therefore they can't be crushed and they can't be used for Pesach Similarly, so those people have the white porcelain sinks, again, that's rare' it's uncashable, and therefore a person can't use that sink on Pesach. So what's the person meant to do? So always the option is, if I can't use the clay, you then cover it to something else. If a person gets himself a sink insert, instead of, and uses every, puts everything in the sink insert, instead of into the sink itself, that it will work even by a sink which is porcelain and isn't cashable. The second example of a non-casurable substance and this is really a Mechlechus Rasha'nim It's a the Raviyah and Mardachai which translates into a Mechlechus between the Shulchan Aruch and the Ramach and that is regarding glass the, There's two different opinions about capturing glass which are diametrically opposed to each other The first opinion is the opinion of the Shulchan Aruch the opinion of the Raviyah and that is, glass doesn't absorb and therefore glass can't become osir, and therefore it doesn't need to be captured, and therefore according to the Shulchan Aruch a person will be allowed to use the same glasses during the years they use on Pesach the same clear of glass for meat and for milk because glass can't absorb flavor it only not to make sure it's properly clean, so there's no residue of actual food there but glass is non-absorbent the Ramah argues and exactly the opposite the Ramah says for Pesach not only do we say that glass absorbs the flavor but we say glass thing is it's also made from the sand is like a klicheres and therefore glass is uncasurable you can't get the flavor back out of it again and therefore uh, let's say something which a Pyrex or Duralex or anything which is glass and has been used to cook food inside it or the glass lid of a pot you can't cash it for Pesach because because glass doesn't doesn't release its flavor similarly people have a stove top like in the electric ranges with a glass top so then it's a problem. It's not to cover the glass somewhere because one, like we said before, glass isn't something we can cash it. You can't get the flavor back out of the glass again. So that's our second area for Pesach, which, according to the Ashkenazim at least, we can't cash it. Now the question is, what about something which is only used for cold? A person has glass drinking glasses, and he doesn't use it for hot? Is that something you can use on Pesach? So, the answer is technically yes, but two reservations. Number one, he has to make sure that the glasses were never on the table, when hot food could have splashed on them. Because if that ever happens, so then we have a din that the glass absorbs the flavor of whatever hits it, but Because it was an erase, so it has a certain amount of flavor that it absorbs. And that flavor could be released. And therefore, the only time one person would be able to use a glass, even if it's used for cold, and Pesach, if it was used in the air, is in the case where your shirt sure never came into contact with anything hot, number one. And number two, and that's must be a place where khametz was never left in it even cold for 24 hours, because that's going to give it a flavor. And therefore, let's say, wine glasses, which a person sometimes uses for whiskey or for other alcohol, alcohols which are khametz, and it could be they used them Friday night and then only got around to washing them but the Shabbos, 24 hours later, so then the flavor of the whiskey or whatever other alcohol would be have been imparted into have been imparted into the glass, And, once again, glass isn't cashable. And therefore, when it comes to glass, it's better to have separate glass things that a person's using for Pesach. The third substance, which is questionable if it's cashable, and this is the topic of a big mechlekes, between the more recent Mephoshim and the more recent Pesachim, because it didn't exist in olden times, and that is plastic. Is plastic like glass that is not cashable, or is plastic a substance which we say is like most other substances. and here it's interesting, the poison of Eretz Yisrael held that plastic can be cached obviously not with liban, it will melt, but with hagalah a person can put plastic in the boiling water and will kasher it whereas a Moshe Faisen holds the plastic cannot be cached and therefore a clay of plastic which became ossa would have to be thrown away because there's no way to cash it so like we said, I'm not giving hachra, it's a and that is, what's the din of plastic? Uh, you know, it's a straw that tends to be makele and an one to be, to do a on plastic in America, they will And the last category of cattle we wanted to talk about, and that is something which is also the Suffolk, again, a new invention, and therefore we don't have the poison to on what to do with it, and that is things like silicone or rubber. are those things which are cashable or not cashable, now obviously, uh, we're talking about someone who baked in the silicone tray, then that's completely not cashable because something which was cooked dry, like in the case of something that was baked, we need lemon, and of course we will not put silicone in the fire, it'll melt, but uh, if you're talking about something which was cooked wet, or in the case where all need is hagola, can a person do hagola on silicon or not, again it's not clear in the post scheme, and therefore it's better to avoid using the same silicone uh, things on paste that like a person uses during the year. Now I'm not just talking about spatulas or uh, bowls or uh, things like that, these Questions also have a lot of practical applications. For example, if a person wants to make kasher in an oven, so the oven has a glass door, there's a rubber seal, how is the person going to cover the kasher of those things in order to use it for Pesach? And the answer always is, if a person can't kasher something, at least cover it. Because if something is covered properly with a thick enough cover, so then there's a barrier between the the surface, which has a ta- the flavor of Esau, and the food I'm using in Pesach. And if it's a proper barrier that then taste won't transfer itself, and then I don't have to worry about casting it, I can just cover it. So whether it's negated to the walls, negate to counters, negate to surfaces, whatever the case may be, if I can cover something properly with a thick enough cover and it's not it's not going to tear, it's not going to it's not going to ever come into contact with a counter on Pesach, then that would work instead of cushering. Okay, those are the levels you wanted to speak about regarding casting surfaces, stovetops sinks which are the things which people still cash in today in the olden days they used to cash everything knives forks they were, because they didn't have more and therefore uh, it was a question of if I wanted a knife from Pesach I'd have to cash my knife from there if I wanted a cup from Pesach I'd have to cash my cup from there but today when Baruch Hashem people have so much more and they have separate cane for Pesach, separate pots for Pesach, separate silverware for Pesach so the cashing is much less necessary and that's good because then a person doesn't have the khashash of did they do a good enough job kashari? But when it comes to those things where a person doesn't have two of, it's the same kitchen sink and it's the same counters, whatever it is, then we have to know the rules of how we can store them. The last halacha which I wanted to talk about is the halacha of dentures. Because the khara dentures are metal. And if that's the case, they're going to absorb the flavor. And if I've, my dentures have absorbed the taste of flavor of khametz because I eat during the year, so how do, I, how do I get that flavor out so that I can eat on Pesach without tasting the taste of Esau? So the first thing which is brought into the post is it's not always such a problem because most times a person isn't eating food which is hot enough to be awesome. In other words, we said in order to give a taste of Esau, so it either has to be something which is hot, liquid or hot solid. Most hot liquids a person doesn't drink in cases where they're boiling. They might still be warm, but not boiling, and some of them are hot foods. In cases like that, they aren't hot enough to give a taste to the dentures. However, we still have the Khashash that a person bites, and therefore you have the Khashash of the Dukkha. A person bites with their teeth, and therefore maybe the taste came in through the pressure which a person put something. Uh, in person, but khametz. Similarly, there are those people who can eat or do eat hot pizza or hot or whatever it's going to be, and in a case like that, there is a hot dry heat which is transport, which is transmitted to the dentist. So, what can a person do about it on Pesach? So, the simple answer is, wait 24 hours before Pesach when you don't eat any hot food, because or any hot chametz food. Why? Because as we saw, that after 24 hours, the taste. And in a kli, gets ruined. And even though had by Pesach, even by a taste which is pogum, but in a case where a person has no option, at least then he's not doing anything wrong with Iker by tasting the taste which is already pogum. But if a person would eat hot chomutz within 24 hours of Pesach, so then they'd still have the taste in their mouth when it came to the Laseda, and it's still a positive taste, that would be a problem. And therefore, for people of the Minag, to eat pizza after the Likus so make sure it's cold pizza, because if it's still hot, there will be a taste which is given to the dentures and, or the uh, braces or fillings, whatever else it's going to be. And in cases like that, that will be a problem on Pesach, because it's still a good taste. Now, that's we're talking about dentures which are implants in a person's mouth, and they can't remove them. Obviously, if there's a plate or a false teeth or something, which in the mesonite, which they can remove, so for sure it's better to take it out and do her god over it, and that will do kind Kaimaksha okay, properly. And the only last point I want to bring up is, I saw some poets say that a person shouldn't eat sharp foods in Pesach. Because there's a rule by sharp foods, and that is that a person for example, by an onion, that even a tam which is already puggled, which means it's been in the clee for more than 24 hours, but something sharp can revitalize the tam. And therefore, for example, a knife, which is a flesh knife, even if it hasn't been used for the past 24 hours, if a person will cut an onion with it, the onion will become fleshic because the time in the knife, even though it was a bad time, it gets revitalized when it goes put into something sharp. And if that's the case, the posthum will say, that a person shouldn't eat sharp food on Pesach because the time which is dormant and is no longer a good time in their dentures is going to come back to life and become a good time when when they eat something sharp. And I don't agree with this posthum, for a very simple reason. And that is, it's a mitzvah on Pesach to eat more. And clays are always used for more things which are sharp. Chrein uh, is a, great, a very good example of a sharp food. And no one ever said that a person can't eat chrein because what they're going to do with the, dent- with the dentures in their mouth, that the sharpness of the chrein is going to bring back the flavor. And this is right from Pesach starts. And therefore we have to say that we aren't ma'am and Pesach. As long as a person has waited 24 hours since they last ate hot food, we will say the taste of the dentures, if there is an absorbed taste, is no longer a positive taste, and if that's the case, a person is allowed to eat on Pesach. Obviously, that doesn't mean that a person shouldn't brush their teeth well and Pesach before Pesach. Make sure there's no real food residues stuck there, because that would be a problem. we you're talking just about the flavour, so we don't have a way necessarily for a person to be machsher their mouth, but at least leaving 24 hours means that there isn't an active isser which will be imparted during Pesach. And once again, even on Pesach, a person isn't eating food which is hot enough which is necessarily going to draw a flavour out of it, out of what's in their mouth already. And that one doesn't have to worry about it. Those are the levels I want to speak about. That's a summer quickly, in two minutes, my time's coming to an end. There are four different ways the heat can be transferred dry heat, wet heat, uh kvisha, which means staying in a long place, and uh tohka, which means the force of a knife. The same four ways is the way we're going to take the 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 taste back out again which is either through Libun, which is always the best, or hagala, which is through hot water, or by leaving something in water for three days, each time 24 hours, which makes fisher, or by rubbing it against another hard surface, which will remove whatever it gained from being the Dohka of Isra. Now, when we spoke about how things get transferred through liquid, we spoke about, again, it breaks into four different subcategories, klirishan or Eri, or klishani or Zaya. We said that, technically, a person would probably be able to do uh, the same again, to take the flavour back out, the way it went in, which means that if something which was, the way that the time Isla went in was on the fire, we'd have to do a gola on it, either by putting it separately or by boiling it up itself, that the water would be boiling inside it. And if something only became also with irui, which means hot water was poured over it, hot liquid was poured over it, then you can do heksha with irui too. If we're talking about something dry, which fell onto a surface, was put on the surface, which is cold so then we said the idea of an evan Lubin is enough it's something like a hot a hot dry object which can be used in conjunction with the water to release the flavor which was put onto it by a hot dry object being put then we spoke about the four rules Hazal said where a person can't do hagalah number one is going to ruin the clean number two there's still residue of food there number three that there's the water's not going to be hot enough number four that the uh, water is not going to touch every part of the clean, and a person has to make sure that in order to to that none of those things are going to be there. And lastly, we said that the rules of Agala are a person has to wait either 24 hours before he does Agala, or alternatively, do Agala one time with an uh, substance which is going to ruin the flavor, some kind of chemical or some kind of uh, cleaning agent, and then after the second Agala in water. Well, alternatively, make sure there's 60 times water to the thing he's doing in is so that the flavor which is being released isn't going to be a problem. We said, by the that doesn't exist because it burns out the flavor rather than releasing it. And the last thing we spoke about was, again, for the four kinds of substances, materials, where Hagolah doesn't work. With the rice Hagolah doesn't work on klicharis, which is any kind of pottery or clay or porcelain or China. As to show him, the Ramaz Mahmur, that Hagolah doesn't work on glass. Or anything which is glass coated. the the machalikisapoyskem which is welcome to make on earth to show but it's nevertheless machlagisapoy scheme regarding plastic. And like we said there's a sophic monopoy scheme which we should be careful about regarding things like silicon if they're cashable or not. Just to finish this is really the point of the share to discuss the halakhs of how to cash a calium and kalim includes, like we said any area which food comes comes into contact with. Tables, surfaces, sinks, one's teeth, whatever the case might be. Just to finish the Dvaragada, we know that the same idea of how a person can draw a flavor of Isra out of the clear really parallels itself in how a person can undo the effect that the Avera has on the person. A person's done something wrong in an Avera, so him in some way he's absorbed the time Isra no. from that Avera. And by doing the appropriate chiva, the person can reverse the effect of the vera in the person. And therefore, we're going to see that there's four ways that a person can do that in chiva. And they really represent, parallel I should say, these four methods of hagada, These four methods of Kashrin Akli. The first we spoke about was dohka, which means someone has been used, forced. you pushed into something also. A person should reverse that. And... Drive it into something which is mutt, it will have the same effect of rubbing the surface and taking the flavor out. And that's the first area of chiva. That result brings action in Pesach. And if a person put effort into doing an Avera, you know, in order to do the Avera, he had to work or to extend himself to find the thing to do the Avera with, the object of the Avera. So a person should reverse that by the effort he puts into doing Matis. And then he says a person should grind the wheat for the Matis himself because it's a lot of effort. And that will stand against the effort that you put into doing a verse. That's the dohka. That's the effort which can, so to speak, take out the effect of the effort done for front of it. The second one, you said, it is, is kvisha. If something remained for a long time in the kli, which is also, so then it's going to absorb the flavor. And the way to reverse that is to leave water in for a long time, which will draw that flavor out again. And that is time. When a person got used to doing something wrong, so the more they get, make them a habit for themselves of doing right, of not repeating the mistake, of doing things differently in a case, which is, a case which isn't a problem, that's going to have the effect that they're now no longer accustomed to doing the error. They've now trained themselves to be accustomed not to do the error, and therefore that's going to take away the effect of error. The effect of error which is very a various error that a person gets accustomed to, gets used to, gets into the rut of doing Averia. The way to do that is to train oneself to be in the habit of avoiding the Avera and that will become their nature. That undoes the effect of Avera which is there by virtue of its being often repeated. The third level is the Hano that a person gets from the That's like the water. Water is always a symbol for Hano. And like it says by the Mabu, Berait kilkilo berait With hot water, so to speak, they sins and with hot water they were punished. And therefore for the enjoyment that a person gets from the Avera, which is the effect the Avera has in the person, which is compared to the water, the way to undo that is Yusurim. Yusurim, like in the case of the marble, or also in the case of Onish, is considered like hot water, and therefore the Yusurim, a person suffers, has the effect of undoing the enjoyment that they had from the Avera. Rakeach talks about the Salat, he calls it Chavah and has to be abandoned how Much a person benefits and enjoys the Avera is how much they're going to suffer for, as a result of that to undo the effect that the enjoyment had on them. And lastly, we come to Libun, which is for putting something in the fire, and we say that's the best kind of Heksha because that burns out the Isra itself. And <coughs> the Avera, which the effect of the Avera through fire is the effect that the, that has on a person's Neshama, and that is. The Yed Sahara is called like a fire, and when a person gives into it, Salakira so brands itself on his nashama, it There's has a certain area which has gotten ruined by the spiritual effect that the very has And the way to reverse that, as been brought down, that if a person commits himself to Torah, because the Torah is like an H as well, and the, pure, the fire of Torah purifies. The fire of terror purifies even more than him do, and therefore, the if a person, in place of what he had done wrong, commits himself more fully and immerses himself in terror, then so the fire of terror purifies a person, and this is brought out that uh, just like even more than the carbonist can be a person, the terror is a person because that's like the fire which is the libon, which is the burns that in Iraq. And uh, so to speak, fixes any kind of stain that there might be in the person's lashan. And that's particularly in the gate Pesach because Pesach really was the beginning of that process. We suffered in Mitzrayim, so we had definitely had the Issyrim there, but the end of the goddess Mitzrayim was when you agreed to accept the Torah. And the Apostle says, that we don't bring it doesn't say. That you, you bring a chatas and shvus, because when you recover the Torah, it's, it's like you never sinned. The Torah has the ability, it's a connection to the fire of Kedusha to burn out any effect on, of ruchnius that the Ezra could have caused. And therefore, there's some, besides for cashing our kitchens, for something of us have to think about is also how we're going to be machsher ourselves. How we're going to, the effort we put into Pesach. Should undo the darchuk, the effort we put into doing getting to get into a habit of doing things right, which over time will replace the habits which we've been doing wrong. We look at the surim, look at just like there was in the time, as a way to undo the enjoyment you got from virus and also the Kabbalah satira, which is really the fire, which is going to burn out any kind of imperfections in our which was caused by the fire of the satira.